When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we're going to talk about teams that need to get off to a fast start in this 2023 college football season. We're also going to do our USFL player interview of the week with New Orleans Breakers wide receiver, Johnny Dixon. I'm very excited about that. We're talking about his time at Ohio State and what he has learned about himself as a professional getting ready for this season and what it's going to look like for him going into the last week of the regular season. But first, I want to talk about the college football playoff, or excuse me, the College Football Players Association urging players to boycott EA Sports' video game. Okay, so this news came out last week. It was first reported by On3.com, but here's the gist. EA Sports contracted one team partners to facilitate use of FBS players' name likeness, and image in their new college football game called EA Sports College Football. Now, EA Sports created a $5 million pool to pay each player a flat $500 fee for the rights to their NIL. But last week, the CFBPA, a union, asked its players to boycott the game because the association believes players are being lowballed. Okay, so College Football Players Association Vice President Justin Falsinelli said he learned from NFL players that they were earning between $17,000 and $24,000 annually for the rights to their name, image, and likeness to be associated with popular football game Madden. So you can see how a Heisman winner, a Bolitnikoff Award winner, a unanimous All-American at Blue Bud University might balk at $500 for their name, image, and likeness. Now, the CFBPA has the same chance of getting something done as a rodeo clown does of trying to saddle bodacious, right? It's just not going to happen. Only players that do the bidding, or I should say, only the players that opt in are the ones that are going to get paid. So if you have enough players that don't opt in, then they don't have name, image, and likeness to go along with the game. Now, first of all, let me just remind y'all that nobody at the College Football Players Association is Sam Gompers or Eugene Debs. We ain't got no great labor leaders over here. We ain't got no Marvin Millers to run them, okay? We don't have no Gene Upshaws for college football. We don't have any Players Association, Players Union for college football. And as much as I hear moaning and complaining from college football coaches – they don't seem to like the idea of a union with teeth representing the more than 11,000 college football players actually bargaining with them with a thing called a collective bargaining agreement for which this could be the kind of thing that you put in front of them that gets a fair deal for players. But what we had was an opportunity for EA Sports to get back into a sport it had to leave because there were no name, image, and likeness well, laws, number one, and then the NCAA 
becoming willing to look the other way with this and allow for the universities themselves to try to take control of it has allowed for EA Sports to kind of slip back in, which is really, I think, at the bottom of name, image, and likeness. When I'm talking with you, when I am talking with players, we all just want to play the damn game, okay? I got a PS3 over here. I got a War PS3, all red and everything, that only plays one game, NCAA 14, because they ain't made another one. And I don't think that kids, kids, players, men, opting not to join into that game is going to stop that game from being developed. Now, does the game become more valuable when you have Caleb Williams' name underneath the cursor as you move around? Maybe, but I doubt it because we played Techno Bowl and we knew that Christian Okoye was that dude in the backfield that nobody could tackle, but we didn't need you to tell us that was Christian Okoye in the backfield that nobody could tackle. We just need to hit that B button or we could have Dan Marino scrolling all the way back and launch a ball 90 yards down the field. We need you to tell us there's Dan Marino because we're not stupid. Now, I get that the College Football Players Association is trying to do right by players, but there is only so much that they're going to be able to do with this other than just kind of stamp their feet and cry about it. But that's also the sport we have because this is not a sport or, frankly, a country that is all in on labor agreements, especially for employees, especially when we can't even agree that they're employees. I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that a college football player ought to be an employee of the university, complete with a salary, 401k, all of it, taxes and all of it. I mean, I, I get on my soapbox with this, but I hear from adults that say, cool, you want to pay players, make sure they pay their taxes. Fool, some of y'all don't even pay y'all taxes, okay? It is a national sport to try to cheat on your taxes. I know this because I run an LLC and I don't do it. I want to make sure the federal government state give me get all of their money because I don't want them knocking on my door. And when you file as many 1099s as I did, between 2014 and 2021, you come to appreciate just how much money does come out of your check and just what you owe because, A, I don't have any dependents, right? I am, for legal purposes, a single man. And, B, this is not a society where we have built laws around single people. We built them around families and family entities and child income tax credits and so forth and so on. Now, all that to say, I think this is just another symptom of how the system is failing. While I think everybody understands the system is failing, what we cannot seem to do is agree on what steps need to be taken to ensure that the system is fair as it is evolving into something new. We've seen a lot of change, college football, man. Like We have seen the invention of the transfer portal, immediate eligibility, Name, image, and likeness, and the expansion of the playoff all within the last five years. We have seen more player movement than we have ever seen in the sport. But alongside that, it ain't like college football coaches have slowed down their movement either. What I'm saying is you're going to get to a point, not where the government gets involved because they don't want to get involved. I don't know if you've been paying attention to all of the news that's coming out of Capitol Hill, but I'm going to give you the gist. They don't want anything to do with this either. They want the NCAA to fix it, and the NCAA is a maid service. They work at the behest of their member institutions, and their member institutions are a part of these larger, more powerful, and more money things called conferences. If Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti and George Klyevkov all wanted to get together with Brett Yormark and say, hey, look, 
I think we should do something about this. I think they would get something done. You know how I know they would get something done? Because that group of people, Sanju or Mark, all got the college football playoff done. They all got expanded. It's fine. It's going to work. Everybody's going to get what they're owed. Everybody's going to get what's coming to them. But that's because they got skin in the game. So I got to figure out, or we got to figure out, how to make sure that everybody has enough skin in this game to have something to lose if it doesn't work, which means that you can rely on everybody else to be greedy. And once you can rely on everybody else to be greedy, everything is going to work out for its end. But I do want to bring this to you because I think that this could become an issue down the road, but I don't think it will. I think most players are going to take $500. Most players are going to take car payment. They're going to take rent. They're going to take three weeks of groceries. Okay? They're going to take being able to take their girl out on a nice date. Matter of fact, you get back to Willie Beeman and any given Sunday. The reason that he fell to the Miami Sharks is because he took money to get a suit to go to a dude's wedding and he didn't even know the guy. That's what this $500 is about. That's what name, image, and likeness is about. It's about runaround money. It's about chump change. It's about stuff your daddy used to be able to give you out the back of your pocket because, well, you mowed the lawn today. So if I'm one of these players, take your money, man, and play this game. You're probably going to get $50, $60 to this game anyway. You might as well be able to pocket the other 450. All right, let's go from that segment to our next segment, which is about the teams who need to start fast in 2023 in our sport. Now, I wrote about this at foxsports.com in our round table, but the premise was college football broadcast schedules were revealed late in or early in June with really some outstanding early season matchups, as is annual tradition at this point they include Ohio State at Notre Dame Texas at Alabama and Colorado at Texas Christian but do these teams need to get off to a fast start to ensure a great season I mean yes is the obvious answer that you want to start as fast as possible knowing that you only get 12 regular season games to make your case and or to try to get into this thing called a college football playoff but for some it is a little bit more urgent than it is for others. And a lot of this has to do with what is your brand? How many people root for your team? And what are people like me going to say about your team if you lose? Going to get in that a little bit. Hello, Notre Dame and Marshall. <laughs> now, I'm going to continue to double down on this thing called Texas because Texas is one of the biggest brands in the sport, one of the biggest brands of my lifetime. It matters to a lot of people, even when you don't like Texas. Texas not being good matters to you. It can make you feel better. It can make you feel real great about yourself knowing that Texas sucks. I don't think they're going to suck, but they need to get off to a fast start in September because the Longhorns have the most talented roster in the Big 12. Full stop. Even with a B. John Robinson-sized hole in the backfield in 2023, the running back room is as deep as it's ever been in my recent memory, and Pete Kukowski's defense feels like it's capable of a top 15 scoring defense after finishing 28th last year. You know, in that top 15, we're talking about a team that can play for a national championship, right? Matter of fact, I believe since 2010, only two teams have won a national championship ranked outside the top 15 in defense and scoring defense. And they are Auburn, who had Cam Newton, who is the greatest college football player of all time. And the other one was 2014 Ohio State. A lot of people didn't think that they were supposed to be in that playoff. And then they went and stunned it on everybody because that's what they do. Okay. So the Longhorns could be 5-0 and by the time they get back to the Red River shootout. And they'll be the first to tell you that they beat 
Brent Venables and my Oklahoma Sooners, like a 55-gallon guy, uh, actually, the quote goes, they took the 55-gallon drum of whoop-ass and they pulled it all on us. For those of y'all that like Roy D. Murcher, you understand what I'm coming from. And they're the favorite to win the Big 12. And you would like to see the favorite to win the Big 12 do more than put up a fight against Alabama. And they know they can win that fight. Because when Quinn Ewers was healthy last year, on the 40 acres, they looked every beat like being the first team to beat Alabama in 2022, as opposed to being the one that missed on a missed field goal at halftime and because quarterback was knocked out of the game. I think they could do it. It's just doing it at Bryant-Denny in Tuscaloosa. That's damn near impossible. Now, let me uh, let me unpack that, right? Because Nick Saban is going to be playing again, or coaching against one of his former assistants. Until Jimbo Fisher finally got it done, Nick Saban was 24-0 and zero against his former assistants. My goodness. We're also talking about Kirby Smart couldn't let that stand, so he managed to give Nick Saban the business in 2022 as well, which is the such a, so a Georgia thing to do. But Nick Saban has, also hasn't lost the game at Bryant-Denny. Since 2019, I checked. Means we could shortly be looking at a graduating class at Alabama who doesn't know what a home loss looks like. Good Lord. Also, we're at a space where if you played four years for Nick Saban, you have a national championship ring. So if you played your entire career at Alabama, you won a national championship, and if you have played there since 2019, you don't know what it means to lose in Tuscaloosa. That's wild. That is what Texas is up against when they play in September at Bryant-Denny. They got to get off to a fast start because then we'll be talking about them being a national championship caliber team. And we'll be talking about them being ready to go into the SEC and win football games in 2024. Pivotal for them. Next on the list for me, for teams that need to get off to a fast start in 2023, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Produce Tyler's Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I got to say, I was kind of smiling when this was on the list of things to talk about. Because while Alabama ain't lost a home game, in damn near four years. Notre Dame lost not once, but twice last year at Notre Dame Stadium in Notre Dame, Indiana, which is a real place. I always thought it was South Bend. I learned today just looking at schedule, Notre Dame, Indiana is its own place. Notre Dame, man, uh, y'all, this is why y'all get on my nerves and on somebody else's nerves, y'all, holier than now and whatnot. But I get it. I get it because you're the Domers. However, when you lose to Marshall, or should I say, when you put the money in the bag against Marshall at home and you lose to Stanford, who was three and nine, and watch their head coach retire, you look like the kind of team that might get stunned on by Ohio State when they come to town. Okay? Okay. Now, it's year two for Marcus Freeman, but he really needs that game to be one that they win because that this year, Notre Dame plays Ohio State in week four, but it will be the fifth game of the season for the Fighting Irish, right? So they play Navy in Dublin. They get Tennessee State at home. And while normally I would say they ought to beat Tennessee State like a drum, you lost to Marshall. And then you got NC State on the road, and you got Central Michigan at Notre Dame. And again, I would like to think that Notre Dame would beat Central Michigan like a drum, but you lost to Marshall is what it is. But if you get off to a fast start, you play well against Navy, you play well against NC State, 
you beat Tennessee State and Central Michigan like a drum, maybe you get past Ohio State. But I'm not prepared to say that because you put the money in the mat in the bag, you put the shimmy in the shag, got hoodwinked, bamboozled by a bunch of thundering herd from West Virginia. Yeah. Probably going to be a long time before y'all get over that one. But a win against Ohio State might do that. Now, next on the list for me, Colorado. Colorado opens against a national title runner-up in Texas Christian. <laughs> All right, let me say that again. Colorado opens against the national title runner-up in Texas Christian. I've been asked by almost everybody I know who knows I am associated with covering the sport of college football, RJ, tell me the truth. Be honest with me, as if I'm not honest on this show, as if I'm lying through my teeth or something, as if I somehow hold back what I think telling y'all. How many games do you think Colorado is going to win? To which I say, Texas Christian was 5-7 and seven in 2021. Texas Christian played for the national championship in 2022. Texas Christian is who Kevin Garnett was talking about when he said anything is possible. All right? Okay? That's where we're at right now. We're at a time when everybody's going, Georgia runs the sport, Alabama runs the sport, SEC runs the sport. But damn it, y'all let Texas Christian play the next championship game, and I got to talk to you about how many games Colorado can win? With Prime head coach? With Travis Hunter going both ways, Stuart Sanders in the backfield? With Alton McCaskill in the backfield? I got I to gotta, I gotta prove this? With Charles Kelly as the fifth coordinator, I got to talk about how many games they're going to win? Still, yeah, they need to go off to a fast start. Because Prime is not in it to be the coach at Colorado. Prime is in it to win every single game. And if he doesn't win every single game, he's going to do as much as he needs to to make sure he gets to a position to win every single game. So you got to beat Texas Christian, who, again, is the national title runner-up. <laughs> My God. And then you get Nebraska. And then you get Colorado State. Before you're running up on Oregon in Eugene. And you get USC at Folsom. That's, that's tough. That's, that, that's tough. Like, nobody would actually draw it up that way. But I'm sure you, like I, am going to watch as much Colorado football as you can, especially if they go and get a win week one on Big Noon against the national title runners-up in Fort Worth. Here for it. All right. Now let's go talk to our USFL Player of the Week, New Orleans Breakers wide receiver and former Ohio State wide receiver, Johnny Dixon. I'm pleased to be joined by New Orleans Breakers wide receiver, Johnny Dixon. Johnny, how you doing? I'm doing good. And yourself, man? I'm good. Uh, We're going to get into your career at Ohio State. We're going to get into what it's been like for you to play two years in the USFL. But I need to start this off by letting everybody know that the first time I ever met Johnny Dixon was at Sanford College. Yep. He's out there catching punts. He spots me. He says, RJ Young. I said, yeah, what's up? You know how to rile up them Ohio State fans, don't you? <laughs> Kept it moving. Kept it moving. Because at the time, backstory here, I was dunking on Ohio State because they lost to Oregon at home with the duck on the logo. Yeah. And I ain't let it go. And they ain't let it go. And I, I respect it. I respect it. But, Johnny, uh, before we get into that completely, you went away from playing – in the South Division title game. You win this weekend against Birmingham. Y'all get Birmingham again in the exact same place on a bigger stage. 
So what's it been like in the lead up this week preparing for that game? Man, we haven't been in the building just yet. Um, we, we've had two days off, but um, I know when we get in there tomorrow, it's going to be intense. Um, whenever you play, you know, the Stallions for the past two years, they've been a really good team. So this one's, well, not even, I'm jumping to the Stallions. <laughs> but um, just playing Houston this week um, is going to be big. Um, you know, we got to, we have to go out there and win it, you know, no matter what the, the situation come down to. So it's going to be exciting, man. That's a good team over there. You know, they got the, the really good running back, you know, that dude's, yeah, he well, dude. Up right now. I mean, look, y'all got a pretty good running back too. And, and, oh, absolutely. You know, like West Hills came to the league a little bit later in the season. Once they week two, he showed up. But what yeah. has it done for you in the passing game to know you got a dude back there that can not only run the ball but can also catch it really well out of the backfield? Yeah, you know, it's crazy when West came in. Um, I didn't know how good he was going to be. Like, like you said, he didn't even play week one. It was like. You know, he was a mystery. You know, he, they gave him the ball week two, and, you know, that was all she wrote. Um, but it's been amazing, man. He takes a lot of, um, off of all of us, from Sage to me, Jay, you know, all the other guys. You know, it's really – he's a really, uh, really valuable asset, I would say, to, to the team. Yeah, man, had 191 yards uh, in that first game that I covered of the Breakers uh, this season. Just outstanding what y'all been able to do. But it's also really encouraging for me to see – Coach Filippo have this sort of impact on this franchise because you played for Coach Fedora last year. You're playing for Coach Filippo this year. Is it both easy and hard to play for a man that is that emotionally invested in the game? Yeah, I will say, like you said, it's both easy and, and it, it gets hard at times because he's really detailed. And um, when you're playing with a guy like that, you just have to be you have to be a professional and. Um, but that's what you expect in the sport. Um, we come here with professionals, and he expect a level of prof professionalism. You have to, you know, you have to uh, stand up to the standard. <laughs> that's what it is. But he's also easy because, you know, the the plays he draws up for us. You know, every man in the room that does a certain thing really well, he's going to draw a play up for you. And you know, so that's a a fun part of the game, I would say. Seems like later in the year you have really come on in a big way, right? Uh, I attribute a lot of that to you individually, but having a guy like McLeod Bethel Thompson, who was the guy from the word go, who's been playing football for such a long time, right. seems to help both you and Jay Adams uh, when you're out there in routes to say nothing of what Sage Surratt has been able to do. Tell me what kind of quarterback McLeod Bethel Thompson is for you. Man, he's just, he's, he's, a, um, he's a step above a lot of guys. You know, he's, like you said, that age, it comes in and it plays an important part for him. Dude makes some of the craziest throws I ever seen when we were in practice, man. It's just like, did he just throw that? But um, it's been amazing. And like he he comes and he works, man. He's very detailed. He probably can go out there and call the the whole game by itself, you know. So it's it's definitely it's, it, we're lucky to have a guy like that leading us, you know, each week. It's been remarkable to see how the quarterback play has really elevated across the league in yeah. year two of the United States Football League. But you are one of the guys that has the privilege of playing in the modern era of the USFL for the last couple of years. What has been the biggest jump in the league from year one to year two for you? Man, I was sitting here earlier on the couch and I was thinking like, man, to me, I think it's just, it's more talent this year, to be real. Like it's, Every position is, is deep. You know, it's not like one or two guys. Like, you look in the receiving department and 
just I look at it each week and I watch the film and dudes are amazing this year, man. And I don't take nothing away from the guys last year, but this year, you know, I think guys saw what we did last year and, and, you know, with the USFL giving us another stage, a lot of guys just wanted to be a part of that, you know, I would say, and, you know, that talent jump just been, it's, it's been crazy this year for sure. Well, I like to say that because you played Ohio state, you basically been playing professional football for the last decade. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Getting in uh, Ohio State in 2014 as part of that national championship program. So let's take it back to 2014. You step on the campus. What did you think? Well, first of all, they they came off like two losses. Like I think it was Big Ten championship and then in the Orange Bowl. So I can tell you now it was the hardest winter I ever went through. <laughs> Man, and, and I think it was like six or seven of us. We came in early. So mm -hmm. like we came into the to the to the hardest workouts ever, <laughs> basically. And, you know, it was a, a challenge for all of us coming in, but- um, Is this Coach Marotti? Coach Marotti strength coach? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Making sure, yep. so everybody understand. <laughs> absolutely. But um, like at the same time, we had a bunch of old heads on the, in the group that were true leaders, true big brothers. And they made it just, I wouldn't say they made it easy because it was still awful <laughs> but those guys made it easier on us you know the transition you know what what we had Devin we had Mike uh Evan Spencer man he used to pick me up every week every weekend to go do extra stuff we had Jalen Marshall who was my big brother we had Don Trey like it was crazy and then you got like me Paris Terry and just being able to learn from those older cats it was amazing because they just they taught us the ropes so we were able once it was our time to leave we was able to leave you know it was much easier for us I would say just because you know what we were able to see before us you are the rare Buckeye that had the benefit of playing not just under coach Meyer but just toward the end there basically playing for coach day right right in that right. the offense evolved the quarterback play evolved. The wide receiver play evolved. I mean, yep. now you think of Ohio State, you think about aerial combat. That wasn't even true 2015, right? Let alone what they're doing now. So how do you think the view of an Ohio State receiver has changed both at Ohio State in the sport of college football and even at the NFL and USFL level? You know, what's crazy is like we see a big change right now, but we can never forget about, you know, Chris Carter and all those guys way before us, man. It's it's crazy. In the receiver room, we have a wall right behind us, and it's just a bunch of goats, <laughs> a bunch of great. So the, the receiver play really started way before, I would say, this transition. It's just now I think we're just at a place that we get more recognized. When you got guys like Garrett and Chris and Terry and Mike and the list goes on, it, you know, they just – it's like a new wave of goats coming through, basically, I would say. And um, I don't know, those guys got the spotlight. And, you know, hopefully we keep getting those top recruits, you know, to come through because who doesn't want to play with Brian Hartline? You know, he's the best in the business, hands down. And um, like you said, with the transition of play, he was a big part of that success for, you know, me, Paris, and Terry, I would say, for sure. And then, you know, the guys behind us, but just like really started with our group and, you know, just trickled down to – to the young guys that was coming in behind us that was better than us. <laughs> i tell you what, from day one, I was scared. If I got hurt my last year, Chris Olave would be starting in my place. So, yeah. So th that's, that's a great point, right? In that Coach Hartline was really great about you all, and that was the reason he was able to go get 
the Chris Olaves, go get the Garrett Wilsons, because I will never forget Garrett Wilson was down to basically Ohio <laughs> State, Texas, and he was talking to a Texas recruiting reporter about why he wasn't going there. He said, because I want to be developed. And right. that was pointing at you. That's pointing at what right. y'all were becoming uh, at that wide receiver position. But it also, I think, I think that I'm right in saying this. Nobody thought y'all could throw the ball like that until <laughs> Coach Day started calling plays for Dwayne Haskins. Yep. When did you know, oh, man, we're going to start slinging it like, like we're supposed to be slinging it as opposed to running what I like to call triple option in the backfield? <laughs> right. I would say going into my fourth year when those guys got in, um, that's when the time I appeared, I had walked away from football from a, for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then when I came back into spring ball, just seeing all these new plays and new routes and, you know, concepts and things like that, I knew that we would take off at that point. And then once we got to my fifth year, it was our second year in the offense. So I knew that it would be even more on the rise at that point. And you know, we really took off though that, what is that, 2018 year? I think that's what really started up the 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 the, the talking of the receivers that, that come out of Ohio State for sure. Quarterback play too. I mean, first round play was picks. amazing. Yeah. Dwayne Haskins, man. That kid, oh man, rest in peace to my good friend, man. But he was special, dude. It was like, I think I called it like mom's home cooking, like when he threw the ball to you, because it was like he could make every throw, man. And, you know, he was such a special talent. Definitely going too soon, but the kid was special, man. And I and I wish he got the – I think he was going to get his, his foot in, in the league with the Steelers, man, but, you know, going too soon. But special talent, dude, special talent. We're all very sad uh, to hear of his passing. Uh, certainly one of the more gifted Ohio State quarterbacks that I've ever seen. And really Absolutely. the guy that I thought proved to everybody else that Ohio State could do this year in and year out. Um, yep. Leave with this. One of the things you said to me uh, after you had nine catches for 136, remind me who y'all playing against. I want to say it was Michigan. Am Michigan. I right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So nine catches for 136. You said that was the best game that you had ever played in your career. And as a man who's getting closer to 30 as opposed to further away, how do you feel knowing yeah. that it's starting to come in for you? Like you're starting to get those opportunities to really show what you're capable of. It's crazy, man. It's just, I think it's none short of a blessing. First of you know, first of all, and um, for me, it's just being able to be a little bit healthier, um, trusting myself, trusting my coaches, you know, the training I put in, been working for the, on this thing my whole life, man. And, I don't know when this thing is going to be over with. So I just wanted to come and give it my all. You know, if this is my last year, or if, if, if next year or the year after that is my last, I just really wanted to come in and kind of flip a switch for myself and be something special. Um, I think coach, I don't know if coach had full confidence in me at first uh, when I was coming back because he didn't know, you know, so I, I feel like I had to come in and, and prove him wrong, you know, kind of sort of, I guess, and just prove myself right at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, it's crazy, man. I was telling you that my my receiver coach in AZ told me he played his best ball at 28. And I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. I'll probably go be a good mentor for the guys coming in. <laughs> but um, no, I just put the work in and 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 God's been on my side, man. He's been on my side, dude. That's all right. That's all right. Well, you are three wins away from doing yeah. something special. Three wins. That's it. Need it. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
Johnny Dixon, thank you so much for taking time to join us here on the number one college football show. Good luck this weekend, sir. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. All right. My thanks to Johnny Dixon for taking time to join us on the number one college football show. Very much enjoy his insight, both into the USFL and the evolution of Ohio State. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Gabe Sable. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Tuan Westfall. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next Wednesday. Doses.